Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. I'm Himra Chenault, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Lanta Carroll, interim pastor of Families in Formation. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations. Because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Avenue, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit. Where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds, and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Please pray with me. All my longings lie bare before you, O God. My sighing is not hidden from you. Be not far from us. So people that know me know I'm a big sci-fi fan. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone is about uh, what the episode describes as a small, angry little man named Rocky who had a really tough life. And he was like, you know, I know in America, if you want something, you have to go and get it for yourself. So Rocky tries to go and rob a pawn shop, but in the process, he is shot by a police officer. So then like the lights fade out and they come back in and Rocky wakes up and he realizes he's in the afterlife. Standing above him, there's a man in a white suit who says, I'm your guide in this new world. I'm here for your comfort. Whatever you desire, I will give you. So Rocky's like, all right, give me your money. And the guy hands him like $700. So then the guide takes Rocky to this luxury penthouse apartment full of food and money and all this stuff. And he says, it's all yours, Rocky, it's all yours. Rocky loved to gamble, so they went down to the casino and Rocky won every single bet he placed, everyone. And the more bets he won, the more he found himself surrounded with beautiful women, everything he desired, he got. And it was glorious. But about a month later, Rocky found himself so bored and restless with getting everything he desired instantly, with having no challenges. So he says to the guide, I I don't think I belong in heaven. Take me to the other place. And the guide laughs at him and he says, heaven, whatever gave you the idea this is heaven. This is the other place. Perhaps that is right. Perhaps hell is the place where you get everything you desire. If you're visiting with us today, you know we're in the middle of a series on sex, God, and intimacy where we as a community are trying to figure out what does it mean as individuals and community to have a progressive Christian sexual ethic. My question today is what is the role of desire in our ethics? How does desire relate to sex and to relationships? And of course, it's always about so much more than sex. How does desire relate to what it means to be human and fully alive? So on the one hand, I hear a conservative ideology that says we're supposed to repress desire. 
It's an ideology that punishes pleasure and condemns anything that falls outside of heterosexual, monogamous reproduction. It's a conservative ideology that says your same-sex desires are sinful. Women's pleasure and female sexuality, impure, unclean. Non-binary and non-monogamous desires, invalid. This is the ideology that lifts up spirit but denigrates the body. It's a conservative ideology of repression. And we know that a conservative ideology about sex keeps queer people marginalized and it maintains hierarchies of cis men over all women. But on the other hand, I hear a liberal ideology about sex that says anything goes. You want it, you can have it. All your desires are valid. All are meant to be satisfied. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's liberal freedom. If you can dream it, you can get it. A liberal ideology is one of consumerism that says you can have whatever you can reach. In fact, many of the desires that we think are good and natural are actually generated by consumerism. It is white patriarchal capitalism that generates us as consumers, not as free people, as consumers. Tells us what we should want, and then dictates how we get those things and tricks us into thinking all our desires are meant to be instantly satisfied. A liberal ideology about sex is too often about egocentrism and self-indulgence. So I know some of y'all will have noticed I set up a little binary between conservative and liberal <laughs> sexual ethics, but I hope you heard me name capitalism in both. Because while conservatives and liberal argue about whose side God is on, capitalism is profiting from both and actually generating both conservative puritanism and liberal hedonism. And all of it severs our vulnerability, blocks our intimacy with our own bodies and convinces us the ultimate priority is personal profit. So the choice between a conservative ethic repressing desire or a liberal ethic indulging desire is ultimately a false choice. The good news today is that there is another way to think about desire. And in traditional Baptist fashion, let's go to the text. Uh, Lindsay, if you'll pull up verses 3 and 4 of our psalm today. Trust in Yahweh and do good, and you will dwell in the land and enjoy security. Delight in God, and God will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I hope my earlier rants about capitalism have tuned your ears. Enjoy security. Delight in God, and God will give you the desires of your heart. It sounds like a repetition of the same egocentric, consumeristic wish fulfillments of American individualism. And it seems to treat God like the Wizard of Oz or Santa Claus or a magic genie or even as the fulfillment of all the promises of the American dream. I'm reminded of a line by Janis Joplin who says, God does not want to give you a Mercedes. It's sad, but it's true. I'm also reminded of a Jewish parable from the Talmud. A very rich man, it's always a man in these stories, right? A rich man buys a cabin on a big boat, at the bottom of the boat. And he looks at his little cabin, and he's like, you know what, I want to dig a hole. So he starts digging a hole. And he keeps digging, and sure enough, the waters start flooding in. 
So all the other passengers on the boat run to his door and they're banging on his door like, stop, stop, you'll kill us all. But the man says, it's my cabin, I paid for it, I do what I want. And the ship sinks. Egocentric greed. I literally heard on NPR yesterday that the American consumer is keeping the global economy afloat. The global economy needs to maintain us, not as free people, but as consumers. Holocaust victim Walter Benjamin says it like this, capitalism has developed as a parasite of Christianity. And so today we must take back some of our truths from capitalism. And one of those truths is about desire. Some of the desires we think are natural are actually generated by capitalistic consumerism and not by God. Our scripture today cannot mean that all desires are valid and God just wants to instantaneously fulfill them all. That interpretation is way too American, too consumeristic, and frankly, not biblical. So how are we to understand our scripture today? To uncover the secrets in this text, I propose we go back to the Hebrew. If you look in verse 4, that word forgive, God will give you the desires of your heart. The word forgive is the Hebrew word natan. You can say it with me, natan. Natan, yeah. So it can mean give, like in Genesis 3 when Eve gives Adam the apple. But natan can also be translated as put or place or establish. Natan is the same word used in Genesis 1 when God places the stars in the sky. And in Genesis 9 when God establishes a covenant with all people. So it seems to me our English translations are inadequate. We can say God gives us the desires of our heart, but we must simultaneously with the same breath say God places, God establishes the desires of our heart. A biblical view is not a repression of desire, nor is it a total indulgence of desire. It is a radical revolutionary reformation of desire itself. In fact, I'm reminded of the Harry Potter spell that theologians like to cast a lot, Ecclesia Semper Reformanda. (laughs) The church always reforming. It means we don't land. Our desires are not instantly satisfied. We keep growing. We keep reforming. We have been taught that some of our desires are wicked and some of our desires are good, but we must prayerfully investigate all of it, to see what is from God. The longings that God establishes in our hearts can't be consumed by conservatism or liberalism or a capitalistic framework. God's desires are way too wild, too intimate. So here's what I propose. This psalm is less of a promise and more of a prayer. God, all around me, it looks like the wicked and the corrupt get richer, but establish your desires in my heart that I may be semper reformanda, always reforming. So how do we do it? How do we start this process? Get God's desires placed and established in my heart? Well, this is my favorite part. It's by delight. Not fear or shame, 
but delight in God. That's such a surprising word to me as someone who grew up Christian. I heard someone uh, who converted later in life the other day, and they were saying, you know, one of the benefits of converting later in life is I never knew you're supposed to feel guilty all the time. (laughs) But that's not biblical. It says delight. And if you look at the Hebrew word for delight, that word is anag. You can say that with me too if you want, anag. Anog literally means to be soft or delicate with. Anog is also connected with the Arabic word for seduce, allure, entice. It's actually used to describe the advances of promiscuous sex workers. So delight or nog is also the same word that Jeremiah and Deuteronomy use to describe a woman being soft, delicate, seductive, promiscuous. And our psalmist today says, be like that with God. You want God's desires to be placed in your heart? Be soft and promiscuous with God. You want to purge yourself of white, patriarchal, capitalistic, and individualistic desires? Be soft and promiscuous with God. Embrace the practices that break you open, like worship, fasting, and prayer. So hear now a new translation of this verse, if you'll go to the next one. Be soft and promiscuous with God, and God will establish the desires of your heart. Now this shifts our desire from thinking about God as a magic genie to God as an intimate lover. And it's about time we rediscover God as lover of our souls. That pure, unadulterated, mess you up, refuse to leave you the same love. Be soft and promiscuous with God. And I hope you hear the implications for your body. Those longings of your heart, of your skin, of your hands, of your genitals and your mind, they are all holy resources for divine intimacy. What if we thought of our worship and our prayer and our fasting like that as things to do with our body to seduce and allure the divine presence closer and nearer? Be soft and promiscuous with God. The poet Rilke writes his own psalm saying, I love you gentlest of ways, you who ripened us as we wrestled with you, you, the great homesickness we could never shake off. The Sufi poet Hafez writes his own psalm, don't surrender your loneliness so quickly, let it cut more deep. Let it make your need for God abundantly clear. That loneliness and sadness, that weird homesickness that nothing on this earth can feel that keeps you awake in the middle of the night that you can't explain, let it purify your heart's desires. Let it point you to something beyond yourself, to the holy and divine love. Let the loneliness be an erotic resource drawing you near to divine mystery way too big for you to grasp. Be soft and promiscuous with God. King David the psalmist wrote it like this in his psalm, all my longing lies bare before you, all my sighing is not hidden from you. Be not far from me, God. So let the longing draw you in. Rilke has so many psalms of desire. He's by far one of my favorite poets. He says, In deep nights, I dig for you like treasure, 
All I have seen on the surface of this world is poor and paltry substitute for the beauty of you that has yet to happen. And my hands are bloody from digging, so I raise them and reach for you. In another poem, Rilke says, I yearn to belong to something, to be contained, to be wrapped up in the great hands of your heart, God. Oh, take me now. Be soft and promiscuous with God. And perhaps one of the most promiscuous ancestors of our all was actually one of the most chaste, St. Teresa of Avila, who channeled all her loneliness and desire into prayer. Hear what St. Teresa of Avila's psalms say. What a burden I thought I was supposed to carry, but just two words God spoke changed my life. Enjoy me. In another poem, St. Teresa says, When God touches me, I clutch the sky's sheets the way other lovers do. I know, it was raunchy. (laughs) And in my favorite poem by St. Teresa of Avila, she says, God desired me, so I came close. No one can come to God unless God has prepared a bed for you. A thousand souls hear God call every second, but most of us look in our life's mirror and say to ourselves, I am unworthy to leave this sadness. But then God sings a song even sweeter. I made you, dear, and all that I make is perfect. Come close, for I desire you. Let us desire the one who desires us. Be soft and promiscuous with God. I hope you hear not only the implications for your relationship with God, but also the implications for your relationships with other creatures. So yes, in this series about sex and intimacy, this is a sermon about sex and desire, but I'm not here to give you a universal code to live by. Our scriptures aren't interested in that either, actually. If you want some sexual norms from scripture, we can glean those. Norms like consent and equality and dignity, reciprocity and justice. But there is no one-size-fit-all ethic for how this works out in our lives. Each of the mystics whose psalms that I just read demonstrate a plurality of intimacies. St. Teresa of Avila was called to chastity. King David practiced polygamy. Hafez wrote about erotic desires with other men. And Rilke said all of his sexual and physical cravings led him to the spiritual. All these poets have different sexual callings. And I would argue that you and I have different sexual callings. But what is the same is that we are to let every desire reform us and draw us nearer to holy love, semper reformanda, always reforming. Be soft and promiscuous with God. Let God's desires seduce and woo and lure you. Thus saith the psalmist, King David, But Audre Lorde, in her own psalm, said it like this, it's the power of the erotic. Audre Lorde says, the erotic is a resource within each of us that lies in a deeply female and spiritual plane. It is the yes within ourselves, our deepest cravings. And as Audre Lorde teaches us, that kind of erotic, that kind of delight, not only will reform your heart, but it will disrupt the oppressive structures of this world. So today the question is, what will be the psalm that you write? Will you be soft 
and promiscuous in your prayer, in your worship and your fasting, will you let it break you open? Holy love wants to reform the desires of your heart, establish love's desires in your heart, and through that, transform the structures of this world. So will you risk delight? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into the world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God who created you loves you and empowers you. To love boldly. Live inclusively. And to serve creatively. Amen. Amen.